Welcome to the Talking the Tech Podcast. My name is Chris Bouguet and I'm here with Rachel Madel. What's going on, Rachel? Not much, Chris. I have a story to share today. Okay, let's hear it. So I was working with one of my clinicians and she comes to me and she's like, kind of um, had a challenge and I want to talk through it on the podcast because I feel like it's something that we don't always think about and I didn't really know how to help her entirely. So here's the situation. Uh, Working with a student, we've been working with him for years and he is getting older now. So he, you know, started AAC when he was little and now we've been working with him for years. And the, I don't know if someone on the team brought it up or maybe this was just my clinician, but we started to have the conversation about how his device says potty on it and how we, you know, at this stage in his life, we think that it makes sense to transition to bathroom right? Instead of saying like potty. And so the first kind of challenge was, well, he has the word potty. He has the motor plan for potty. Everyone's kind of still saying like potty because I think that's what's on the device. And so they're using that kind of language around it because that's what they've always done. But now we're kind of at this crossroads and we're like, do we change the button from potty to bathroom? Do we give him a new button and learn the motor plan? What do we do if, you know, we decide to change the language, but everyone keeps still saying, do you need to go to the potty? Right? So we had this really amazing conversation about like, what do we do? How do we do this? And I thought it'd be really relevant to talk about on the podcast. Okay. Well, my first thought or just immediately is that, um, potty doesn't necessarily mean that it's a kid-like word. I mean, sure it is, but um, I know adults that use potty all the time in kind of a fun way, right? I think the difference, though, is that that's a choice that they're making. Like, they could say bathroom. They could say toilet. They could say water closet. They could say potty. They have multiple... They they know that, that those are synonyms for, for the same thing, right? Where... That's, I guess that'll be my first question is do we does the student you've been working with have the um, receptive language has 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 the student learned that there are different words for the for uh, excreting bodily functions or the place where you excrete bodily functions. Um, I don't think so, because I don't think that we've really explicitly taught anything about bathroom. It's just like he gets he hears like, let's go to the potty or do you have to go to the potty? And that's kind of the language that he's been used to hearing his whole life. Um, And so the idea of transitioning over feels like. And I said this like to her, my clinician, I said, well, we have to change the way we're talking about it if we want to teach it. Right. We can't keep saying potty and then expect him to say bathroom or that's confusing. Um, and so, yeah, I thought it was really interesting to, to think about. And I'm sure it's, you know, potty is an example, but I wonder if there's other things where we start off with these AAC systems with with children, little children sometimes. And then those children become, you know middle school and then high school and then like adults. Right. So it opened up this broader idea of like, how do we set up these systems? How do we choose what language to target and to include? And what do we do when that transition starts to happen? Mm -hmm. Well, I definitely can think of other examples. All done, right? All done where other people might say finished. Right. Um, and, and some people would say that all done is sort of more kid-like, but we finished. And so I have no SLPs that have said, no, I'm not fo- I'm not saying all done. I'm saying finished, right? Which is a whole phrasal verb sort of thing we could talk about separately on a different day. But the, the point being is that there are synonyms that we could be teaching and be using. And a, an immediate strategy that comes to my mind is the Freyer model. So taking your target word and you put it in the center of a quadrant, right? And so quadrant number one is uh, the definition of the word. So if the word is, let's say, bathroom, um, then quadrant number one is the definition, a place where you, you know, you know, right? (laughs) Number one and number two. Yes, yes. And then quadrant two is might be synonyms right so here's where you might say other words potty toilet water closet whatever other words we could think of 
Quadrant number three is maybe images uh, related to the that that. So you know, a picture of a toilet, a picture of a bathroom. You know, not necessarily the symbols on the AAC, but maybe the symbols on the AAC plus other pictures. So you're making this correlation. And then the last one is using it in context. So when some examples, the last quadrant would be examples of using it in context. But this is how you could be teaching. Like, see, we could swap out potty and put in bathroom and put out bathroom and swap in body because they're very similar meanings, right? The the other quadrants are going to stay the same. And the only thing you'd be swapping is that synonym one. Um, and that's just one idea of how you could teach it. But it certainly feels like it's not an... Uh, it's not just um, one or the other. It's a both. You know, we teach the words. We teach all the words. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think there is going to need to be some explicit teaching around it. And I think that's okay. I think that that makes sense. And I also was thinking for this particular student, having maybe some type of quick fire phrase plugged into his AAC as a way to then transition, right? So he can still say potty, but he also can say, you know, I need to go to the bathroom. Something like that, I feel like could be a really good transition for him. And, you know, as he's getting older, we want to make, you know, some, we want to create some quick fire phrases for him that gets his needs met quickly. Um, I feel like the bathroom is a really good example of that. We don't need, um, you know, individuals plugging in that sentence, right? Generating that sentence when every time we, you or I need to go to the bathroom, we pretty much say the same thing. Um, and that could be something that we could teach alongside of the explicit teaching around, you know, bathroom, potty, uh, water closet, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and then a lot of other, uh, I, that wouldn't necessarily be quick fire phrases, but other phrases that you could teach for, from a individual word standpoint or a, um, as a whole, like I need to go. When I say I need to go in, in the right context, you know exactly what I mean. It doesn't mean like we're going to McDonald's. Do you know what I mean? It means I need to go. I need to go right now, Rachel. You know? Well, if you're on a road <laughs> trip, you could be going to McDonald's. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, but again, the context matters, right? So uh, teaching that explicitly, I think, is a great idea in conjunction with uh, quick fire phrases. But uh, I, I, I do think something I might stay away from is if the student already has established potty as a motor plan and uses that word, I wouldn't change the, I wouldn't change the word from potty to bathroom on the AAC. I would say, okay, well, that's a word you know. Let's not change it. Let's now teach you another way to say something similar. I would agree with that because you have to think about it from a motor planning perspective, not just with like, oh, like his finger goes to potty automatically. It's really the process of my brain thinks potty and then I execute that motor plan. So if my brain thinks potty, but then you've changed the word like that disrupts everything, right? That like throws a wrench in everything. Right. Well, or uh, I sorry, not or and the connotations. Again, I lead with teaching that. Mm, Potty might be something we say when you're younger. Uh, you might say it when you're older, but when younger kids might say that. Uh, bathroom is something you say when you're older. Like, again, explicitly teaching those sorts of things, reading stories about it, uh, doing some of the intervention uh, in the bathroom, you know, like, uh, and not necessarily about, like, going to the bathroom, but just teaching what the word bathroom means, you know. Yeah. That it's a room in your house, you know. Yeah, there's so many different kind of teaching opportunities there. The other thing I want to kind of just mention that I talked about with my therapist was, you know, this really needs to be a team discussion, right? Like if we're going to start shifting over to something, especially because, you know, he has an ABA team that supports him, that's modeling that language, that's using that language. Um, and also talking to the family, like, what do you think, you know? And I feel like having those conversations as a team is really important. And then coming up with some type of game plan, right? Because I could totally see this being misconstrued. Like, no, 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 we're not saying potty anymore. Like we're saying I need to go to the bathroom or whatever it is. And so like, you know, making sure that everyone's accepting either, either language opportunity. And yeah, I just feel like these kinds of things need to be talked about and discussed and kind of have a game plan in place when you do kind of make a transition like this. I think that makes total sense. And, and beyond just transitioning, anytime you're having some sort of 
transitioning like this, just any transition, having some sort of game plan in mind is going to be good, right? Because then everyone's on the same page, they're using the same language, they have the same strategies. Uh, it makes sense to me. The other thing is this comes up oftentimes when I'm doing programming for what do we call a student's AAC? Do we call it AAC? Do we call it your talker? And I feel like that's a family decision. Like what is the family saying in regards to the AAC? Because some, you know, families are like, go get your talker. Other families are like, get your AAC. And I think that's the language we need to be programming in for students because that's the language they're hearing, right? If we call it iPad or AAC, but the family is calling it a talker, then you know, we're really not supporting our students in learning that language. I do think we could probably do the same thing with Talker, AAC and iPad, you know, is like teaching, Hey, we can call it all these things. Um, so I think that it's just interesting to think about that. And I, I personally let the families lead that type of a decision. And it really is based on like, what do you, what do you feel like most natural? What comes up? like out of your mouth when you're talking about these things. Yeah, I think that it's really good to have these conversations and um, and ask the family these sorts of questions so that they can be the, the principal ones making the decision with us, the support network, giving them guidance and guidance being asking questions like so because I could easily see the answer for a two-year-old, most people would be like, yeah, potty. We call it potty in our house. The other kids were called potty. When I was a kid, it was potty. But then it would be our responsibility to say, also say, just know that we would probably also teach these other words. So primarily, we're going to call it potty. We all agree, potty. But we're also going to try and teach other words. If we could go back in time for the student that you're talking about, maybe some explicit instruction around all of these, you know, not just you working with them, but the entire school school um, and family working with to teach that primarily we're calling it body, but it also has these other words. If we do that early on, um, it's a, there's a better chance they're going to understand it late, you know, later on in life because we've been modeling it and teaching it and talking about it for ages. Yeah, I think it's just good practice too because so often our students are hearing one word in one context and then there's a new word and like, you know, it's our job as educators to teach the associations between those things. So like teaching that this word means the same as this word. And actually let's like Google image it and see like a bunch of different representations of this thing. You know, I feel like that kind of, um, thinking through like all of the different elements of how we teach a word, um, is really important. And I think that we have those opportunities that come up naturally, but we also can create opportunities for things like, you know, potty and talker and all these, these words that come up frequently. Well, and, and the way I could even see that is, I mean, many of the people listening, I think, maybe have adopted a words of the week or core themes of the week sort of approach, right? So, and if we're looking at core vocabulary, then maybe go and stop are going to be on there, right? But one of the things, like, in the in that uh, in that rotation of words that you're teaching, but you're not teaching just go, like, leave the door, you know, like, leave out, go outside, but go means I got to go, right? And go where? To the bathroom. And so you might be focusing on the core word of go, but also hitting potty, bathroom, um, water closet, toilet, uh, whatever other words you're, that are associated because you're teaching that in conjunction with the core word. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I also think that we have opportunities when students you know, are generating language and they feel maybe like it, it's not quite right, but it kind of is close. So for example, I was, um, using gifts in my practice with one of my, uh, kids yesterday. And we looked at, we were looking at a gif of someone doing a handstand and I just kind of like, I pull up the gif and I just pause and like, see what comes out. And he says, jumping. And I'm like, yeah, like we kind of do have to jump to get into a handstand. But then we had this whole beautiful opportunity where I like, you know, said, this is a handstand. And I was like, do you want to search more handstands? And we found like all these really funny handstands. Um, there was someone doing a handstand on a paddleboard and then someone doing a handstand on top of someone else. Like, so it was just this beautiful opportunity where I just kind of followed it, um, you know, and also, I think, again, I think we have these opportunities where I could have just been like, no, he's not jumping, right? He's doing 
doing a handstand. Wrong. Exactly. <laughs> it, it really accepting whatever the you know student says and say, yes, like he does look like he's jumping. We have to jump to get into a handstand, but this is a, called a handstand, right? Like really kind of building off of what the student is showing you um, and then showing them other ways. Like I'll oftentimes do that with students. They'll say something and I'll say, yes. And you could also say this, right? You could also say it this way to kind of just model something else um, that may be a, a little bit more precise, um, but just like really building off of what the student says instead of getting into this loop where we're doing like corrective feedback and we're making students feel like they got the wrong answer, putting that in air quotes. Right. What you've done by talking about what a handstand is in that context of the story you just told is you really solidified what jumping is not. Right. So like you helped that student realize the act of jumping is different than this handstand because uh, they just you're talking about handstands, but jumping came up naturally. But now they even have a deeper understanding, a receptive understanding, and will be able to use jumping more uh, in expressive language even better because now they know what it's not. Totally. Yeah. And this kid was totally into it. I'm like, I feel like he's going to get into yoga probably because <laughs> he's just like his face lit up. And I was like, let's look at more handstands. <laughs> uh, that's exciting. It's not the same kid that that is the now learning the word different words for body. Different kid, different kid. Cool. Well, do you think um, what do you think if if you're you, the people you're having this discussion with went back and listened to this banter? Do you think there would be some different outcomes or would, what would change? Yeah, I mean, I think that this was a really rich discussion. You gave me some really good ideas for kind of how to move forward. And I love the idea of, you know, explicitly teaching it. And in the way that you described with the Freyer model, I feel like makes a lot of sense. And it's really easy for a team to kind of lock into that kind of systematic formula. Um, and I completely agree with you as far as the motor planning of the actual word itself and the button. Um, so, yeah. And I hadn't thought about like generating a phrase to, you know, work into with the, the word bathroom that came up naturally during this podcast recording. And so I'm excited to go back to my therapist and say like, what about a phrase? <laughs> so thanks, Chris. Awesome. Awesome. Well, okay. So tell us about the interview today. I had the opportunity to interview Becca Eisenberg and we had a really great discussion uh, all about adult AAC and how to support adults, which I'm really passionate about. I know there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who work with middle and high school students and we talk all about, you know, how to create opportunities um, that are age respectful, what that idea of age respectful means. Um, and she actually created this really awesome YouTube video about self-advocacy and um, Gemma White actually who was on the podcast introduced me to Becca um, so it was a really great discussion. So without further ado let's listen to Rachel's interview with Becca Eisenberg. We'd like to thank all of the wonderful Patreon supporters who make this show possible. This podcast is funded by listeners just like you who signed up at patreon.com backslash talking with tech to show their support. Because of the generosity of our amazing Patreon community, we're able to pay Luke and Michaela, our podcast producer and audio engineer, who keep the show looking and sounding great. Patreon supporters also receive bonus content, such as early access to interviews, behind-the-scenes recordings, additional curated resources and materials, and so much more. Check it out at patreon.com backslash talking with tech. Now let's head back into the episode. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined today by Becca Eisenberg. Becca, how are you? I'm so excited to have you here. Well, thank you so much for you know in, inviting me to be here. I'm so excited to talk with you today. It's a real honor, so thank you. Yeah, well, we're going to be talking all about life skills and how to work with older students using AAC. Um, but before we dive into that, just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself um, so they get to know who you are and what you do. Okay, great. So I'm um, a speech language pathologist for, I've been basically my first client who I ever had in graduate school had a dynamite. And so since then it was love at first sight um, <laughs> with, the, with the devices. Um, so I have been in the field of AAC for over 20 years. Um, and one of my first jobs was working with 
uh, adults with developmental disabilities. So, um, but I've also worked in, I've worked with the Department of Education. I've worked in lots of different schools, um, clinics, homes. Um, but I, right now I am on the assistive technology team at WIHD in Valhalla. And we do evaluations, we do um, staff coaching and parent coaching um, and any, all things AAC. Amazing. Um, I'm really excited to kind of talk about older students because I feel like, you know, we're oftentimes focusing on pediatrics and especially on the podcast, we're like talking about, you know, all of these things related to younger children oftentimes. Um, but there's a whole lot of older students um, who are, you know, oftentimes emergent communicators. And I know that for clinicians and, um, you know, other educators, it feels challenging to figure out the types of activities that you're working on, because, you know, you might have an emergent communicator who's really young, but also an emergent communicator who's a high schooler. And so it's like the activities that we're choosing for the, you know, five-year-old don't work for the 16-year-old. Um, so can you talk about a little bit the differences when you're thinking through the lens of, you know, older students who, you know, are using AAC and how do you go about, you know, planning and, you know, treatment and things like that for older students? So, I mean, it's a great question. It's, it's really one of my favorite topics. Well, obviously. <laughs> That's why you're here. That's why you're here, Becca. Um, I, I'm just really passionate about this topic because I'm all about like age, you know, age appropriate um, and also motivation. So when I'm working with teens and adults with developmental disabilities, I found that, you know, it really has to be based around what they want to communicate, what they're motivated by. Um, and one of the things I found very early on that to be very helpful was video modeling. Mm -hmm. And I always found it just like really hard to find, you know, appropriate videos for video modeling. A lot of the videos that I found were either like too young um, and they just, they were, you know, a child's and, and if you're working with a teen or adult, they're not the same age, not the same experiences. Um, so, you know, videos was like one of the activities that I would, uh, that I would work on with a lot of my clients. Um, but as far as like, you know, other activities, I mean, I've talked a lot about that in some, like the webinars I've done, but just like age appropriate books, um, and, you know, different kinds of games and things like that, but all based on, you know, as far as communication being, you know, going back to what's motivating and exciting and engaging, um, because if you can't motivate someone, they're not going to want to communicate. So, you know, so that's kind of like where I started with, you know, with the videos, because I found the videos really hard to find and, or they you would have to pay for them. They were really expensive and they weren't like as accessible to somebody who didn't have the money to pay for all those videos. So tell me that you're the videos you're speaking of are your YouTube channel, right? So you have a whole YouTube channel full of videos that are completely free, which is an amazing resource. And I'm super excited um, to have you talk about that for a little bit. Thank you so much. So, so how it started. So during, during COVID, I found that, you know, because everything was virtual that well i have a, a few different playlists just like just to talk about how it's organized because when you first go on the youtube channel um which is life skills to learn it looks a little bit like there's a lot of different there's a lot of different videos i really like making videos um so i had discovered the software program powtoons and i had started just like playing around with it a little bit um and so when COVID hit I was doing a lot of like AAC parent groups and parent training. And I found that there's just wasn't a, like enough explainer videos on specific concepts. And I was running one group with a colleague, uh, parent group, and each week we were talking about a different concept. So what I did was that each week I would make a different video about a specific AAC concept. And I used Powtoons to do that. So like my first video was Corn Fringe. Um, and so it's, it's organized a different playlist. So AAC parent coaching is one playlist mm -hmm. and we use these videos during each of the groups. And I found it like a really nice springboard to begin conversations. Cause I think sometimes like, you know, we're talking to staff, you're talking to parents, it could be intimidating and go right into a presentation, um, using vocabulary that may not be as familiar. So I think everyone likes likes like a, like a one or two minute video, just like fun and colorful and explaining something um, in a way that everyone could relate to. I think it's all about relating 
to a specific topic and how am I going to use this specific topic in my everyday, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're not trying to, so the core in the fringe was about, you know, kind of organizing that topic into let's talk about core and fringe. Okay. Let's talk about how we could incorporate that into every day. One of the other topics was like descriptive teaching method, you know, so that was one. Um, So I've made a lot of different videos. And so after that, took off. Um, I, you know, I continue using, using it during presentations. Like I, I find it a really nice way to start a presentation is just like a one or two minute video to explain. I also use it for graduate students. Cause I also teach graduate classes and I find them to be really helpful to teach some of these concepts as well. So before maybe we do an activity, I will put the video on and then we will go right into it. And people really understand it better after watching just like a little bit of a quick video. So I think I was on vacation. Um, I think I was, yeah, I was on like a, like a, some sort of vacation. Well, not like a, it was a COVID vacation, which which, right. <laughs> which I know everyone could imagine. You're sort of locked in. Yeah. And I, um, I was just, you know, I had some free time and I was thinking about, I was, I don't know, I was looking at some videos and I was like, you know, I was looking through Powtoons and I'm like, wow, they have these really nice like video clips, like of adults doing different things, different life skills. And I first, my first video was about laundry. Okay. So for any mom out there um, or caregiver, we're doing, always doing a lot of laundry. And I know that's one of the activities within like a lot of life skills classrooms, Mm -hmm. because I also work in a lot of life skills classrooms and they're teaching just like everyday skills, like laundry, washing dishes, cleaning up, cleaning the table, cooking, you know, different sort of everyday things. Um, and so I, I just, I started, you know, I just created this video, just short little clips of the steps, um, and about how to do laundry. That was the first one. And then at the end, I just had some questions, just like a few questions and all the visuals and the video clips were there, you know, with the the specific membership that I had for that software program. And so I used, let's say I use that video in my therapy and I just found it like so helpful. It was just a lot of my clients, like they're really related to it. It was really functional. They, it was like real, it was adults doing all these different things. It wasn't like little kids. It wasn't, um, it wasn't childish or anything. It was really for adults or teens. Um, and so it just sort of began like that. And I, the, the reason why I got motivated was because I also am constantly looking for new content for therapy because, Mm -hmm. you know, as everyone knows, especially during teletherapy, when you were doing one after another, after another, after another, that having the same activity over and over again could get really repetitive. Totally, so, totally. We were all like sc- scouring the internet for like new exactly. ideas and therapy. Exactly. So, you know, a variety. I had my boom cards. I had, um, you know, epic books. You know, I had Cognition. I had all this different, really nice materials. Um, but I always like to kind of do a variety of media um, for those teletherapy, but also in person. So every week I would make a new video and I would just be doing something and I'm like, Oh, that sounds like a good video. And then I would sit down and just make it. And the whole idea of the videos is that, is that they are the same format every single time. Mm -hmm. And what what people like, and I'm not going to say just like our, you know, our, like clients or our students that we work with, you know, as therapists and and as educators, we like predictability. We like to know that we're putting a video on and it's going to be the same format each time so that we know what to expect. We know when to pause it. We know when to ask questions. We know when to facilitate communication. Um, And so I just, and then so, you know, 54 videos later in that playlist, I'm still thinking, even like, let's just say I was on, I was on the train and I was like, oh, I'm going to make a video about the train. And then, so I just start taking pictures of different places in the train and thinking about the different steps to it. Um, So, so, and I also have, just to let you know, like I have two playlists and I'm just saying this so people could understand like how, which videos you want to go to. Um, after some feedback, people did want the voiceover because so the original playlist 
which is the video series for teens and adults with developmental disabilities. Um, it doesn't have voiceover. It just has the text. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I had done that was because I was pausing the videos and I was having um, was my clients who I was working with read the text on the screen because we were also working on literacy. Mm-hmm. So I was having them read and we were doing some reading comprehension, but uh, a lot of people had felt like the voiceover was really important and I wanted to make them accessible. Mm-hmm. So I did hire someone to do the voiceover who I liked her voice. And so we have another playlist with voiceover, which has 45 videos with the voiceover. So um, it's, if you organize, if you go into it by playlist, um, but yeah, so that's how it's set up. But as far as like, as far as using it, I mean, everyone has different, everyone kind of kind of have it. There's like no right or wrong way to use it. Some people use it, um, in an asynchronous way. They'll assign it for an assignment and, um, you can put it into Edpuzzle and you could add questions if you would like throughout it, if you wanted to. Um, how I use it during, um, during let's say teletherapy as I'll pause it and I'll either have the question read or I'll read the question and we'll go into somebody's like yesterday I did, let's talk about making pasta. <laughs> so, which he said, I, you know, he said on his, on his uh, communication device to communicate, you know, talk about pasta. So I was like, okay, perfect. Well, I have the perfect video for you. So, so we went on to, let's talk about pasta. We went through the video. I paused on different um, on different slides and I would say, well, what's going, tell me, tell me about this slide or what's going on with the water here. And he would go to actions A to Z, but a B for boil. Okay. Well, after that, we have to drain the pasta. What do we need for, you know, what do we need to drain the pasta? And so we talked about the colander and different items within, you know, cooking utensils. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, there's that, lots of different ways. And then at the end, I'll go through different questions. Um, and you know, I have some like other extra carryover activities in my teachers pay teacher store, which is paid, but the, but all of the, um, content on YouTube is free. So it's just for anyone who wants like that extra carryover activities. Um, but that's pretty much how I use it, but I also use it for in-person therapy all the time. I will, you know, we'll watch a video. I will pause it, use it the same way, but also as far as like facilitating communication, just sort of naturally. I mean, a lot of these videos are really motivating. Like my last one, let's talk about fast food, which um, is just a popular topic. I mean, French fries, hamburgers, chicken nuggets. I mean, totally. Who doesn't like talking about cheeseburgers? So, <laughs> so you know, we could talk about the even. You could even pause talk about the concept of ordering. You know, or mm-hmm. even for educators going through the different process before you go on a field trip. And talk about the process of ordering. You know, what do we have to do when we get there? You know, mm-hmm. what are different ways of ordering? What might you order? What do you like to order? Instead of just going on a field trip and then having, you know, the other staff doing it for them, we want to have our students doing it for themselves and communicating exactly what they want and what they like. And I think also understanding the process makes it that much easier. Yeah. And I think that just having the steps laid out, I mean, we know that there's research to support video modeling and seeing it before you actually practice doing it, I think is really powerful for students. Um, so it sounds like there's tons of different ways, you know, to utilize these videos. I also think just generally, um, you know, having families have access to these videos can be super helpful. I also know you have a lot of videos on just like basic AAC principles, like communicative functions and descriptive teaching and core and prompting and all those things too, which is really helpful. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, you know, uh, what are your thoughts and, and ideas on like when you meet a new student for the first time, like how do you prioritize what to focus on? Um, obviously we want to follow their lead. Um, but oftentimes, you know, a lot of our SLPs who are listening are, you know, working in school environments or, you know, some type of environment where it's sometimes hard to follow the motivation. It's like, well, today we're learning about, you know, cleaning the dishes, um, which I know you can obviously support that. But for our students who, you know, maybe are emergent communicators who aren't really doing a lot of communication yet, 
because we need to find something intrinsically motivating for them, um, what kinds of things are you thinking about and how are you kind of approaching uh, a new case or a new client um, to figure out like how to, you know, tap into that intrinsic motivation and figure out what to kind of work on um, that is, you know, age respectful um, considering again, I, and again, I think the hardest thing is when you're working with an emergent communicator who's older, you know, it's like, that's the biggest challenge is because we're so used to working with younger kids who are emergent communicators. Like, how do you, how do you kind of approach that in your own practice? I mean, I feel like the first thing is just like, I mean, I'm sure everyone knows this, but just building that rapport and that trust. Um, because a lot of times I think, especially if you're working with an older student who's been through years of different therapy and, um, it's, it's like about connecting. I mean, I always Mm -hmm. say communication is connecting and you have to, that, that, you know, your student has to be able to trust you to be able to really communicate. Right. And so I guess it depends on like what level they're at. But where I start is always just in that very beginning of establishing rapport and and really reassuring people that I'm there to help. I'm there to help them communicate. And if it depends on, I guess, if they have, you know, from evaluating them for a system or if they already have a system that they're already using. Um, but but always kind of beginning with, you know, maybe talking about them, talking about what things that they like, and especially giving choices. So an emerging communicator, I'm always going to ask them, you know, what do you want to do and and model a lot and, you know, give them choices of what they want to do. So in the beginning, it's really just getting to know each other and it's just getting to um, getting them to understand also that they have choices and that it doesn't always have to be so structured about the activity. There's tons of times where I have activities planned and I don't even get to it. Because they may start a conversation about movies. Let's just say they like the Minions, okay? Um, which who doesn't like the Minions? Anyway, Those I love Minions are really great because they can be they like are. across the age span. I feel like and really like I love those videos. Actually, I use those in my therapy. Right. So sometimes what I might do is just put like, on my Jamboard, and I might if Minions is something, and I will put just a couple of pictures of minions and I would start modeling. Oh, these are so fun. They're yellow or like, Oh, let's see what kind of, do you want more pictures? Do you want to do, you know, maybe the minions going into action minions doing something different, or do you want to watch the minions? Do you want to read about the minions? Um, So I kind of get started with just like that sort of like, you know, informal, you know, fun, you know, motivating topic that both of us could relate to. So that's, that's kind of, that's usually how I start. I mean, I really kind of follow their lead with regard to what they like to do and what they want to do. Um, so I may have an agenda as far as like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is going to be our topic, our schedule. I have, um, I have one client where she loves talking about stuffed animals and she loves talking about the farm and, and different things like that. So all my activities are sort of based around that. It could be pictures of that. And, you know, it could be like little, like maybe it could be a video. But the other thing too that I also want to mention is pictures of the clients themselves, um, especially like older, like some of my adults who are emerging. Um, I use a lot of just maybe pictures of themselves doing different things and mm-hmm. commenting about it. Yeah, I would I would also say videos of them too. It can be really motivating to kind of see what they're doing. Like, oh yeah, like right now you're at the park or you're ordering Starbucks. Um, I think that that is super helpful. And I feel like it's so simple, yet it's not something I see a lot. And I'm like, use pictures like that. There's no better way to prepare an individual to communicate about things that are meaningful than to show them, you know, pictures and videos of things that they have done or, you know, are excited to do and then teach them the language skills to kind of share about it. Right. It's like the most functional thing we can do for all of our students. Um, but I feel like, especially for clinicians who are like, Oh, I'm stuck. Like, I don't really know where to go with this. I'm trying to find age respectful materials for the student. Um, connecting with the family and asking for them to share photos and videos, I think is a really great way to incorporate, you know, activities into therapy that really make a difference and really give our clients and our students the the tools to communicate about the things that are exciting and meaningful to them in their own lives, which is the whole goal, right? Of everything we're trying to work towards. Exactly. I mean, even just telling stories. So you could use those pictures for telling stories. And that's how I begin with 
some of um, some of the clients that I work with as students, like I might, you know, take the photos and put them into a story. So when mm-hmm. they come back in, they could tell me based on the based on those pictures. And you could just I just program it into their talker and then they're able to go back in and be able to tell me a story about it. Um, so, and so, and I'll do it in different formats with the pictures. I'll use maybe wheel and name sometimes. Maybe I'll make a book on PowerPoint. Maybe I'll make like a bingo game and lesson picks of the, you know, of different pictures. So, you know, it's kind of about just being creative with it, but really also paying attention to their nonverbal cues and what's going on. Mm-hmm. So if I see that they're getting, somebody's getting upset or there seem like they don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to model that language like, okay, see that you're finished or do you want to do something different? Or also just giving control of being able to have choices within the session. Do you want to stop or tell me when you're ready to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, so, or I see that you're frustrated or maybe you're thirsty or maybe you want this, whatever. So I not assuming how they feel, but it looks like mm-hmm. you may be frustrated. It looks like you need something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think that once that, once you develop like that real rapport and that trust between you and that other person, and you're also picking out, and obviously like, like we talk about, like, you know, having, you know, a robust system, you know, having the system set up, having it personalized. Um, but it really also goes back to just like that motivation, um, and, you know, following your lead with that. So, you know, if I even have a client that likes to talk about art or likes to talk about, you know, a specific animal, I'm going to go with that. And I'm going to, um, and maybe let's say SpongeBob is maybe not age appropriate for that particular person, but it doesn't mean I'm going to stay in that, that topic of SpongeBob forever. It just means that maybe I'll start with it mm-hmm. and I'll I, use it just to kind of help facilitate. I think that um, you're kind of bringing up a really great point, which is what do you do when you're working with an older student who is really interested in, you know, some type of video or book or some type of activity that feels younger. Um, I think a lot of clinicians struggle with that because they're thinking like, okay, I've always been told like age appropriate, age respectful materials. I think it's okay to follow a student's interests. And I think, um, you know, one of the things I've been incorporating more in my own practice is how can we introduce students to, you know, different types of, um, you know, materials and things like that, that they might be interested in, um, especially for thinking about autistic students. Students, I feel like they're very much like, this is what I like. This is what I know. And because I know it so well, I like it a lot. And so it's like, how can we slowly incorporate other things? And the more frequently we incorporate that other thing, the more likely they are to actually now adopt that as something that is familiar and that they like. Um, And so I think it's kind of a balancing act of, you know, obviously supporting something that's intrinsically motivating, even if it does feel like it's a little bit younger uh, content but also then making an effort to try to introduce students to other things that maybe have some similarities um, so we can expose kids to new things and they can have the opportunity to develop new interests. Exactly. And I a hundred percent agree. And I also just want to add like just layering it in, you know, I have one client, older client who likes Barney. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's okay. In the beginning, she used to ask for videos of Barney and it could play a little, you know, just play like maybe like a couple, I don't know, less than a minute. But what I started to do was just use that more as like something that we did at the end as a way to like relax. Um, So in the beginning of the session, then we're going to start maybe doing some sort of bingo game, right? And then we do the videos. And -hmm. then we started to do a little bit of conversation in the beginning, the bingo, and then, and then, then the Barney, right. Or whatever. So then, and then now, you know, we've been able, I've been add, be able to add like three different, let's say structured activities that are age appropriate. She's still getting her videos in the end. I have older students who like Thomas. Um, so, and there's nothing wrong with, I think, you know, using that material, as long as it's not something that we're using like the whole time, or maybe this is how I feel anyway, or maybe using it towards the end or maybe using it for a language opportunity, um, so, cause I think when you take something away, that's also not really showing that you're listening to them, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we need to feel like I, that, that kind of goes back to that trust. Like when somebody's with you and they're communicating, they need to trust that you're listening to them. So if I'm telling you that I really like, I don't know, Dora or SpongeBob. Okay. And you're like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Like, you know, it's kind of like, well, that's not really like, you know? And so I think it's. 
kind of like respecting the fact, okay, I know you like that and we're going to do that in a little bit. Um, just kind of like layering it in a little bit. Um, and there are some things that we could get, we could use a little bit to, you know, kind of incorporate that communication. Like I've done a lot of describing activities with, um, with different, let's say like, I don't know if you did like something like door or whatever it is, like you're able to do some of that describing, but I don't get stuck on it. I kind of reduce it over time. That's, Mm -hmm. that's been my approach. I think also if you can figure out, you know, what is it about this specific thing that a student is really interested in? So if it's Thomas the Train, starting to incorporate videos of real trains um, to kind of expand on what they're already showing they're interested in, you know, and showing them like it doesn't just have to be Thomas, right? Like we can watch videos of real trains. And, you know, again, I think that just exposure over time is what creates familiarity and what can develop a passion or an interest for students. Um, so it's kind of our job to take what they're really interested in and then figure out ways, creative ways to expand um, on what they're showing the interest in. And and just to kind of add to that, you know, let's say Thomas trains videos of trains. How about working at the train station? Like, what does that look like? Who works at the train station? A conductor, you know, person you get tickets from, hopefully the, you know, machines, whatever it is, but, but people that, that actually work at the train station. So that kind of brings in some of the vocational and life skills Mm -hmm. of how do we get a train ticket? You know, how does that work? What do you know? How are we going to buy a train ticket? So I think that it's, you know, it's like what you were saying, you start with one concept, but then you just kind of build upon it. And what I, I always say, like, I feel like everything goes back to life skills in a way. Because, you know, it's something that we take for granted that we're able to do independently. But for the students that we're working with, you know, I think incorporating some of incorporating those life skills into our sessions and into our conversations is, you know, I I think is really important. And it's just something that's going to they're going to be able to practice on a daily basis. And, you know, as far as families go too, I really try to encourage them to try to to, to, to do it themselves. So even like making a sandwich or being able to put away their clothes or, you know, and showing them how we could use language with that and communication with that. Like why should maybe, maybe have that student choose their clothes? You know, what color do they want to wear? Do they want the big one or the small one? Do they want, you know, like you go into texture, the soft shirt versus the other. I mean, so I just, you know, I kind of, take take a life skill and I kind of put like a big language spin on it to the point where they're like, oh no, I didn't even say anything. But anyway, but you know, but I think it's a really good um it kind of gives people a lot of ideas about um and I've seen parents like I've had I've had clients where they haven't even been able to take them into a supermarket because they let's say that that particular client doesn't you know just wants to open things and eat them there. Um, and now gotten to the point where they're able to take him and he's able, we've worked on money concepts where he's actually able to go and tell people what, tell his parents what he wants, you know, with this talker and really wait until he gets to the cashier and pay for it and then eat it. And so that's a huge progress. It's taken a while, but it is, you know, very possible. And there's just, you know, and parents, I think, get inspired to feel like they could, you know, something that they could do and in the community. So I've been doing that as well. I also do community-based AAC therapy as well. Mm-hmm. And that I think is like, just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing better than like going to, you know, your local pizza shop where you love to order pizza and practicing how to, you know, go through all of the skills that you need in order to have that. Um, it's like, those are the kinds of things that we can help prepare students for. Obviously being in the community is optimal and ideal, but we also have so many tools available. Um, you know, taking a video of us, like walking into that pizza shop and using it, you know, after the fact, um, pulling up the online menu, you know, to order things. I feel like these are all things that you can work on with students, but it first takes figuring out like what, where is communication lacking in their everyday life and what kind of, you know, language can we target to make a really big impact on, you know, their experience? Because oftentimes we're thinking about students and individuals who don't have a lot of functional communication um, or it's, it's still emerging. And it's like, there's things that we can do to make their lives so much richer and better um, to make their lives easier. And, you know, if that means being able to order my favorite pizza from my favorite pizza shop, I feel like that's where our, our, our therapy focus needs to, needs to go. Exactly. A hundred percent. 
So tell me a little bit, Becca, about where people can reach you if they're interested. I mean, I definitely, we're going to link to your YouTube channel because I feel like there's so many amazing resources in there. Uh, But if people are looking to get in touch with you, like to learn more, to reach out, where can they find you? Um, So, well, you could go to my website, which is lifeskillstolearn.com. And um, I also have another website, which is Language During Mealtime which is my two websites, but my web, my, my YouTube channel is, is life skills to learn. And there is a way to contact me there, but I'm also on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. Um, and, um, yeah, so you could, you could message me that way. And I also, I always welcome like feedback and the ideas come from, you know, other educators, other therapists, but they really come from the, the clients that I work with. Um, so I base the videos on, just ideas that people have for me. So I do have a lot of ideas, but I always love more ideas. Um, And also any way that I can make things more accessible for people. Um, And I I just also love getting feedback on how people are using it. Just one more thing I did want to add that I have used the videos for, like my life skill videos, are for lessons within the classroom. Mm -hmm. So a group lesson. So let's just say um, they're going, you'll say we're going on a field trip to, I don't know, Stu Leonard's. So maybe I'm going to talk about, you know, the grocery store or working at the grocery store. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put that video up and I'm going to pause it and we're going to be able to talk about it with, you know, with their voice or with their talkers, um, whatever it is. So communicating about it. So I have also used it for like in-person lessons as well. So, you know, as it's great for speech pathologists, but also I think for, for teachers as well and for parents. So, um, Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a really great resource. And I, I have a student who's, uh, 19. He's very interested and, um, curious, um, about cleaning. And so he just like loves cleaning. He, um, you know, he's very particular about how he wants things cleaned and um, different kind of rituals he has in the home about, you know, opening the spice cabinet and then closing it. And he doesn't like drawers open. He doesn't like cabinets opened. And he's doing a lot of nonverbal communication. He's just starting with AAC over the last year. And so I feel like there's some like the laundry one, I feel like would be really good for him and some other ones, um, you know, to just kind of support that learning for him and to give him a different modality uh, or medium rather rather to, to learn, you know, besides kind of being, you know, next to him in his kitchen. Um, I think there's a lot you can do with those videos. So I'm so grateful that you have created those and have so generously shared them, um, with people. Cause I think they're just really helpful. And again, I think we're talking about a population that a lot of therapists and educators don't really know what to do. Um, and a lot of parents too. And so giving some structure around it and giving some ideas, um, new things to incorporate, um, to help our students become more independent and also to help them become better, you know, communicators, um, I think is a win-win. So I'm really grateful to you for all of the time you've put into, you know, those videos and for sharing them so generously. Well, thank you so much. And just to also just to add, like when you're going through the videos, you know, really focusing on that, like real core vocabulary um, is just another thing that we want to do when we're working with our with our students who use AAC um, and just also like just expanding vocabulary as well. And just letting them also kind of giving the space for them to be able to talk about what they want to talk about with it. Absolutely. So that's the other thing. It doesn't always have to be like one specific way. It could be any way that you'd like. Yeah. Just like building off of what the student's showing you and, you know, of course, attributing meaning, um, I think makes a lot of sense and, um, is a good reminder for all of our listeners out there, like really follow the lead uh, of the students that you're working with and follow their motivations. And you can't go wrong if you're doing that. Exactly. And even if they're not, even if they don't like the video, which has happened, I don't get insulted. Um, I use it as an opportunity for somebody to say stop or a different video, or I don't like this, which is negation, um, or this is boring, which is, you know, describing. So even when, you know, they don't like it, I'm really getting some nice language. Yeah. No matter (laughs) what's happening, we can always give language, right? Even if it's like, I'm done with this. This is, this, this stinks. (laughs) 
Exactly. Exactly. So it's all good. Awesome. Well, Becca, thank you guys. Uh, I cannot thank you guys. Becca, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing all your wisdom. I'm excited to have uh, an episode all about adults and um, young adults and AAC because I feel like it's, again, an area where we don't have enough, uh, you know, information and we we haven't had enough episodes uh, on our podcast about that. So I greatly appreciate you coming on and sharing all your experience and your YouTube channel. Oh, thank you. So for Talking With Tech, I'm Rachel Mado, joined today by Becca Eisenberg. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week.